Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Thank you, Colin. I appreciate that. Uh, one of the things I'm going to have to ask Pastor Inizzi for is I kind of do things old school. So I have notes and the Bible and like, this thing's tiny. Colin, how do you preach off of this? Um, but uh, just want to thank everyone for uh, being here tonight. Uh, I am uh, also thankful my dad came out. So like when I was at Victor playing sports, you get the mom and dad out being the support group. So uh, you want to throw out amens or clap, I'll take it. Um, if we can uh, keep passing Izzy and Don in prayer, they're going to be uh, heading back sometime beginning of next week. Um, I don't know about you guys, but what a blessing to, to have Donna and Pasi and Izzy. Uh, I know uh, we had a little bit of a time frame without a pastor, but what blessings God's poured out on us. Um, it's tough for me sitting up here because every time Pastor Nizzi preaches, I don't know about you guys, I mean, it's like a home run, grand slam. Uh, I don't know how many Phillies fans we have when uh, Bryce Harper hit that two home run, but that's what I feel like every time Pastor Nizzi preaches. So I am enjoying myself. Uh, that being said, tonight, I'm going to sit up here and try and hit a bunt single. Uh, because it's a little bit of intimidating anytime uh, you get behind him. But uh, tonight uh, we have a uh, message that, uh, that I've worked on and uh, just want to share with you guys. The message title is, In Our Service to God, Is Our Attitude Right? Is Our Attitude Right? I'm sure you guys have all heard it's all about the attitude. Uh, we hear that a lot in the world, in our job place, our work, sports. Well, you know what? In our Christian life, that matters too. And the definition of attitude is a complex mental state involving beliefs and feelings and values and dispositions to act a certain way. Um, a study was done by Dr. Nicholas Christie's at Harvard Medical School and James Fowler of the University of California in San Diego and they conducted a study on how individuals' social network affects their happiness. So basically what that means is family, life, workplace. And they did a study, and they found that individuals who associate themselves with cheerful people have a happier demeanor and consequently a better sense of well-being. The effects of one person's mood, which boosts another person's mood, which boosts another person's mood, creates a chain reaction in the group. Summary of their findings, a happy, positive demeanor is contagious. Uh, we're going to tonight do a, do a kind of a, I don't know if anybody's in the marketplace for a vehicle, uh, but I know if, if I'm looking for vehicles for my business, you kind of do the old Ford versus Chevy. Uh, for the most part, all the positives are going to be on the Ford side, the negatives on the Chevy side. Uh, but you, you do the, okay, how much horsepower on this side, what's the size, cost, and all those things. Tonight, uh, we're going to do a brief comparison, and because of time's sake, we're going to kind of hit the surface, but I think we're going to get the uh, meaning behind it. But we're going to look at two men, one in the Old Testament, Jonah, 
and one in the New Testament, Paul. Uh, so point number one, if you're taking notes, is God calls all Christians in the service for him. God calls all Christians in the service for him. Uh, if you take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, and then just for future reference, we're going to spend most of our evening in uh, Jonah. Uh, there's only four chapters, and we're going to go between chapters 1 and 3, and then we're going to jump to Acts chapter 9 and spend a lot of our time there, and we're going to mix a couple different verses in. So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, For we are labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Um, I've always loved that verse because what a blessing it is when we look at that verse where it says, labors together with God. Um, I quite don't understand that because you have God, creator of the heavens and the earth, uh, Christ who died on the cross, and yet they want, God wants to work with us. He wants to work with me, wants to work with you. Uh, it's neat that we have a God that wants a partnership. Doesn't necessarily want a dictatorship. Uh, so we look at 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and just see what God's attitude is towards us. And as a Christian, we look at that and we should think and have a feeling or emotion. Uh, pastor's been preaching on emotions. Uh, anger has been a study he's been doing. For a Christian, we read that verse, we should be excited. There should be uh, a feeling of honor. There should be appreciation for God wanting us to be part of that. And if we take a look at two men, uh, we're going to first take a look at Paul. And if you can take your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 9, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. We're going to take a look at Paul. And subpoint is, we see God's calling in both Paul and Jonah's ministry and what their attitudes look like. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, verse 2, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that he found a way of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. If it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, we see in this verse here, 1 through 5, that uh, obviously Saul thought that he was doing God's work. Well, he had a rude awakening, and God made that apparent to him. And we see that Paul has a decision to make at this point. Okay, is he going to follow what God's called him to do? What kind of attitude is he going to have? Now, we flip over to Jonah. If you could flip over, we're going to be moving a little quickly here in the very beginning, uh, but I promise you we're going to slow down. If you turn over to Jonah chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 2. So we see that Paul's been called. Now, let's take a look and see what's going on with Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of the Mittite, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come before me. Now, Jonah being called to Nineveh, Nineveh at this time uh, was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. 
Uh, it was probably, and there's some debate on exact actual size, and we can study Jonah chapter 1 through verse 4. There's verses in there that mention uh, hands not knowing the right from the left. Some think that's referring to children. Uh, but the number given in there is 120,000. So at minimum, uh, we know that there was 120,000. It's more believed that there might have been up to 600,000. Now, at this point in time in the Bible, this probably would have been one of the largest cities in the world. Um, so not that it makes a difference for Jonah, but it's not like he's going to a town of 10 or 20, okay? There's literally hundreds of thousands that he's being called to go to. And we see that uh, point number two, God's service requires an action. Now, if there's a calling, there has to be a physical action to that event, okay? Um, if in your life, and I don't know, uh, all of us had how you've gotten to your job. Some people in the room might be in college. You guys are called or there's a leading to something. Um, but just because you're led or called to that doesn't mean you are. For example, uh, I don't know if we have any medical people in here, but if you're called to be a doctor and you don't go to medical school, you're not a doctor. Uh, if you're called to be a missionary on the mission field and you don't go on the mission field, you're not a missionary. If you're called into the military and you never go into the military, you're not a soldier. So point being is that both men are called and both men have to take an action. They have to deliberately do something following God's will. So point number two, God's service, service requires an action. And we see that Jonah, if we take a look over and you can turn in your Bibles and you should already be there. Jonah, uh, verse one, uh, Jonah chapter one, verse three. And in that, we see that uh, Jonah says, uh, in verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship getting to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down unto it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Um, Tarshish, and I don't know, sometimes you kind of find comedy in, in the Bible, not that that's the intended purpose, uh, but where Jonah was living, if you have a map, and if, if uh, uh, Jonah's here, which is in Israel, and over here is uh, Tarshish, the Mediterranean Sea is in between the two. So if you take a ship, you go all the way over, you go to the bottom of Spain, that's roughly where Tarshish was located. That's 2,500 miles from where Jonah was. Now, prospectively, where Jonah was, he should have went straight north. Uh, Nineveh was approximately 500 miles northeast. So if Jonah's here, Tarshish is here, Nineveh is like way up over here. So in the end result was of where he wanted to go was about 3,000 miles. So he was taking no chances of going to where God wanted him to go. He wanted to put as much distance from him and where Nineveh was located. Now. We see that God called Paul as well. And if you take your Bibles and, and turn over to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, we're going to read uh, verses 3 through 4. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 for 4, and it says in verse 3 of Acts chapter 9, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice, saying, And I hear, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Thou art the Lord. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. And it's hard for them to kick the pricks, kick against the pricks. Now, we jump to verse 6, and we see 
that there is a calling. Now let's see what Paul does. And in verse 6 it says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So in our comparison, we have a calling from Jonah, supposed to go to Nineveh, decides that he doesn't want to go. We see Paul getting a calling, and what does Paul do with his attitude, his, his mental makeup? Okay, what, Lord, do you want me to do? So we see between the two men right now, polar, you know, if you had to draw polar opposites, put two magnets together, push away, that's to this point where we see both men in that verse. Um, we see that Paul in verse 19, it says, and when he had received meat, he was strengthened, then was certain days with the disciples were, which were at Damascus. Now, jumping down to verse 20, it says, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that is the Son of God. I find it interesting that within literally seven to eight verses, Paul's already met with the disciples, and he's already, again, taking an action, going to the synagogues, okay? In our Christian lives, there are the flesh, there's Satan that works against us. Satan loves nothing more than for the, the Christian to get distracted, to get sidetracked. We don't see any of that going on in Paul's life right now. In fact, we see somebody who is going headstrong into where God wants him. Now, flipping back to Jonah's attitude, and listen, we got to give Jonah a little bit of a break because if we look at Jonah, what he's being asked to do, it's, it was really hard for me trying to come up with something that in today's times we can equate it to. Um, the Assyrians would have been mortal enemies of the Israelites. They would have more than likely raided the Jews. They would have killed women and children. They would have stolen crops. And that would have gone on between the two. Now, I don't know this. I'm just conjecturing, so don't hold me to it. But it could be that Jonah, maybe in one of those raids, maybe a child was killed. Maybe a relative was killed. Maybe a friend was killed. And how I kind of compare it today is if we go back to 9-11, where you had over 3,000 lives lost, especially in Northeast here, there is many people who knew somebody who was in that building, whether it was a firefighter, a worker, a policeman that was killed. Uh, when that happened, and I'm not condoning hatred, uh, but the Taliban, that is something that there was hatred from America towards the Taliban. That's similar, and that's kind of the best I can come up with would possibly where Jonah's attitude was and what he was trying to fight against. Um, point number three is the right attitude matters in service to God. Um, if we look at Paul's attitude and we jump back over to verse 19, we see that Paul, when he was received meat and he was strengthened, then was certain days with the disciples and were at Damascus. He spent time with the, uh, the disciples, jumping down to verse 20, and he straightway he preached. Again, Paul, no delays, going to the cause of Christ. He's in the synagogue doing God's duty of what he's been asked to do. Um, our attitudes for the Christian um, matter. And I oftentimes, when I kind of come up with analogies, I'm a big sports guy, so that's where I go. Uh, my son, as you know, had Tommy John surgery. Uh, he's spent many years uh, honing his skills being a pitcher and has done a very good job at it. Unfortunately, he's got a year of recovery to get to where he is. Um, but we have the Philly Series World Series starting, and if you guys ever have watched baseball players and really focus on it, every single pitcher that gets on the mound 
and I've only known this because I've been through hundreds of lessons with Cole, talked to multiple, uh, multiple pitchers, some in the MLB, uh, has worked with Cole. Every pitcher that gets on the mound has a routine. Some of them are crazy. I mean, you see some of them hopping up and down and doing all these crazy things. Uh, but every pitcher at some point you notice will come set, take a deep breath, and exhale, and actually loosen all of his muscles. Now, in that exhale, what pitchers do is uh, the catcher might have called a curveball or might have called a fastball. That pitcher mentally, before he ever throws that ball out of his hand, visualizes where that pitch is supposed to go. Now, anybody who's ever pitched doesn't sit there and visualize, I'm going to throw the ball in the dirt, I'm going to hit the batter, I'm going to throw it 10 feet over the catcher. He visualizes a strike. Because in his mind, if he thinks a negative thought or thinks I can't do it, guess what? When he physically goes to do it, it ain't going to happen. He's going to throw a wild pitch. For the Christian, if we're in service to God and we are consistently in a negative state or negative attitude, how can anything come positive out of that? I mean, if you think about the Christian, what have we been given? We've been given Jesus Christ. We've been given eternal life. And if we're not living a right mental state, it's not going to happen physically or come out. In fact, it's actually going to hurt the cause of Christ. Um, there was, uh, many years ago, we used to have, um, Bobby Joe, what was the witnessing thing we had when Pastor Orm was here? Operation Go. I was partnered up with another gentleman, and we would go to a home to visit. And the gentleman was about 78 years old, and for whatever reason, my partner and the two didn't get along. They just, it was oil and water. He would not talk to him. The only thing that saved me was I'm part Ukrainian. This gentleman was part Ukrainian, so I could talk pierogies, polupkis, and all these Ukrainian things. Uh, so me and him hit it off. We were able to talk. We spent probably weeks, whenever we would go visit, trying to witness to him, and he would always, as soon as we opened the Bible up, would just get nasty and didn't want to hear anything of it. Well, finally, one day, we asked the question, listen, you know, we've been here for several weeks. We've talked about this. Is there any reason, like, you get so upset about when we start talking about things to the Lord? You know what his response was? Look, I know how you Christians are. He goes, I lived next to a Christian, went to a, a Baptist church, and, you know, was, did all these, you know, dressed in a suit and tie and nice uh, outfit, went with his family and wives, and they would go Sunday, go to church, and come back three hours later. You know what I saw during a week? I saw a husband that screamed and yelled at his kids, hit his kids, uh, curse words coming out of the house. He goes, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. So for us Christians, um, most people aren't going to come into church and sit here and listen to Pastor Nizzi speak. It's, it's very hard to get an unsaved person into a church. Um, it's unlikely that, uh, that unsaved person is going to take the Bible and study and read. Now, it does happen. Um, you hand a tract to people, they might look at it. They're probably maybe not going to go, go and look at it and actually get saved through that. What is the best way for people to get saved? It's, it's looking at us. And if we, as Christians, walk around with our heads down, negative, complaining, uh, the world's ending, and just negative, why would anybody be drawn to that? That's what the world is. So we see that there's two different attitudes between Paul and Jonah. And again, point number three, the right attitude matters. Um, we're going to summarize Paul and Jonah's uh, attitudes, and we're going to start with Paul first. And what we have to understand is, is that if we have a positive or negative attitude, regardless of which one that we are currently in or end up being, there's going to be a result to that. Similar to the gentleman I shared with you, 
that simply did not want to accept the Lord because of what he saw. That person, that home, that father, with what he did created a negative impact on that neighbor next door. Our lives are under a microscope. We're watched by the world. And if we create a negative impact, it's like taking a rock and throwing it upon. You get the ripple effect. It affects not only us, and there's studies to say that if you're negative, especially if you're sick, weakens your immune system, shortens your life. Uh, you know, you could look at me and say, I lost my hair. I don't know. I think that was a negative thing. I don't know how my dad got a full head of hair, but uh, that's what I got dealt. Uh, but we look at Paul, and we look at from the time he was converted, and if you guys can turn over, we're going to just uh, slowly go through a couple verses. I'm going to pick them out. Uh, because at Acts chapter 16, take, take a flip over there, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. Again, we're looking at Paul in a positive light on how he worked his ministry. A prime example of that is in Acts chapter 16, verse uh, 16. And it says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divinch met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So in this story, most of you probably know this story, uh, Paul and Silas, they're, they're out, and they come across a, a girl who's demon-possessed. Uh, she has masters who uh, she, was, she was more than likely a slave. And they end up casting out the demon. Now, when we take a look at verse 19, it says, and when her masters saw that the hope of their gain, so they were profiting off this girl, was gone, they caught Paul and Silas, and drew them into the marketplace and unto the rulers. Uh, if we jump down to verse 22, we see that Paul and Silas in this chapter, they're attacked. We see, and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And then jump down to verse 25. Without a, without a positive attitude, without a mental state focusing on God's work, Verse 25 can't happen in either Paul or Silas's life because it says in here, and at midnight, Paul and Silas praised, prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. And I'll ask you guys a question. They were just beaten. They were just dragged in the streets and thrown in jail. How could those two men sit there and be happy about that? Anybody have a thought? Okay. You're right. Anybody else? Listen, I'm used to teaching connect group in the morning, so I'm used to a back and forth. So I'm just going to pretend this is a connect group. Yep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Anybody else? Mm hmm. And that's what I want to touch on the state of mind. Now, Anybody in here like a marathon runner? Okay. Um, I think a full marathon is what, 24 miles? Okay, 26. Sorry, I shorted a mile. 26 point something. I don't know how they do it. I don't know physically how your body can run for four or five hours like that. But the reason, that, the way they do that is from the training, but also because there's, there's a goal, there's a race. They want to finish the race. So in their minds, they're not thinking of, hey, I'm at one mile. They're thinking of that 20, hey, I got to get to the finish line. And to your point with the mental state, the only way you can get Paul and Silas can do what they do is because they knew they weren't doing it for themselves. Because if they were doing it for themselves, 
They would have been there sitting there, the two of them. I know if it's me, I can't believe we're in jail. Can you believe they beat us? Look, we helped them out. We cast a demon out. We saved that girl. What did they do? They beat us. But because they did it for Christ, what did they do? What's that verse say? They sang praises unto God after being beat. Now, we also see that uh, Paul took several missionary trips throughout the Roman Empire, Europe, and Asia Minor, uh, literally reaching hundreds of thousands of people getting the word out. We also see that Paul is credited with 13 of the 27 books written in the New Testament, and we also see that at the end of Paul's life, he was executed for the cause of Christ. The only way Paul comes full circle through that is with the right mental state and attitude through the things of God. Now, on the flip side, we see Jonah, and we see basically the negative and dragging spirit of Jonah. Now, the thing Jonah missed out was that Paul got was is that with the right attitude and mindset, God can do amazing works in us. Jonah, I think, missed out on that. Uh, Jonah, when he went to Nineveh, it says in verse 3, if you guys want to turn back, turn back over to that, and it says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. Now, eventually in verse 4, we see that Jonah ended up getting to Nineveh, and it says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now in verse 5, the people repented. So the people of Nineveh believed God, and the people of Nineveh turned away from evil. Now, Jonah ended up doing what God wanted him to do. Now, the thing about this is, is where I, I actually feel bad for Jonah is, is because of his hatred and what he couldn't get over, he missed out on one of the greatest conversions in the Bible. <laughs> Literally over hundreds of thousands of people were saved and turned back to God. Now, we see that with this attitude and with this miracle that Jonah had, um, Jonah in verse 4, again, looking over, he ended up in chapter 4, walking out of the city and hoping that basically God was going to throw the largest meteor or fireball and just burn up the entire city. Now, Nineveh is about, uh, it's guesstimated about 60 miles in width. It took Jonah three days to travel. Uh, average man can walk 15 to 20 miles a day. So this city, let's say it's 40 to 60 miles. That is huge. Uh, what does Jonah do in verse 1 after seeing what God had done? It says, uh, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And not only did it displease him, but it actually says uh, at the end of verse, and he was very angry. Now, we look at Jonah, and God does show mercy, because God, even in that, tries to teach him a lesson. And if we look at uh, verse 3, uh, Jonah continues to complain to God and says, Now therefore, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And Jonah then asked God to take his life. Now, God, in trying to teach him a lesson, if you uh, just go through, and I'll just briefly hit this because uh, we don't have a lot of time, but in Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, we see Jonah's in the outskirts. We see that he is dying from the heat. The sun's beating on him. And what does God do? God allows a gourd to grow up, and whew, he's saved. He's got shade now. So he can sit there and be in misery and look at the people walking around that weren't killed by God. And we see that uh, even with that, God still tries to work on him, and God sends a worm and kills the gourd. Now, Jonah, not even like 
thinking about what God's trying to show him in verse 6 says, And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, his seat beat down upon his head, and he fainted and wished himself to die and said, It's better for me to die than live. In verse 9 it says, and unfortunately, this is the last recorded words we have from Jonah. It says, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, Jonah speaking, I do well to be angry even unto death. Now, again, we talked about Jonah's attitude and mindset. Literally hundreds of thousands of people were saved. Granted, there was a war. Syrians were hated by the Jews. But I, I'm assuming when Jonah walked through the streets, he had to see women. He had to see young children. He had to, you would have thought, have some sort of compassion. But what got in the way of Jonah having any kind of compassion for the Assyrians, for Nineveh? What got in the way in Jonah? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Anger? Pride? Anybody else? What's that? prejudice. Now, those are all things that are 100% correct, and we see that in a man who has lost focus. He's got the wrong mindset. He's got the wrong attitude. If his mind had been on the things of the Lord, like we saw with Paul in the jail getting beaten, he would have been praising God, clapping his hands, and said, okay, God, where do you have me next? Unfortunately, we don't see Jonah doing anything else after that. We see in Matthew, Christ mentions Jonah, but there's nothing recorded of Jonah doing anything after this. Now, to me, that's a sad thing because Jonah was a man that could have accomplished great things. Look, if God had him do that task and he has succeeded, maybe there's somewhere else God could have sent him. But if God doesn't see the right attitude, why would God put someone like that in that position? Similar to us. Look, um, everyone at church can't, can't be a pastor. Everyone at church can't teach a connect group. Everyone at church can't have a specific job here. Now, as we grow, hopefully all of us are going to be used. But if we sit here with negative attitudes, why is, how's God going to open up a door for us? If we're not doing the small things for God, how's he going to put us in the next step or move us up on the ladder if we can't even do the little things? And what are the little things? Well, first of all, I have a positive attitude, okay? God's blessed us abundantly, and if our attitudes aren't right, he can't use us. Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, and this is the sad thing for Jonah, because Jonah did do ultimately what God asked him to, but we're going to see what happens with our works if it's not done in the right spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 11 through 13, it says, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 3. Now, if any man build upon his foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, that the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Bottom line is, ultimately, our work's going to be seen through God's eyes. And what does God look at? The heart. If our heart and minds aren't in the right place, it doesn't matter what we do. You know, you could be a connect group teacher. If you're not doing it right, the right mindset and the right attitude, it's going to be burned up. It's not going to be credited to our account. Um, going back to our uh, key verse for tonight, uh, which is Romans 12, 11. In there, it says fervent. Fervent. 
Fervent defined is extremely hot characterized by intense emotion. Extremely hot characterized by intense emotion. Now, we can look at Paul's life. Does everybody agree that fervent would apply to Paul? I think we all would say yes. If we look at Jonah, could we use fervent with Jonah? Absolutely not. Now, if we're living a life of Romans 12, 11, and fervent is supposed to be a definition of a Christian, then there's three attitudes or mindsets that every Christian should exhibit. And this is the second part of our lesson tonight. We got about seven, eight minutes. We're going to try and go through this. Number one, Christians should be happy while serving God. You guys ever see like, those little patches with the smiley face? That should be permanently on our face, a smile on our face. Number two, Christians should be passionate while serving God. Now, if anybody's a Phillies fan in here and watched it on TV or actually been able to be in the game, there is some serious passion for the Phillies right now. Shouldn't that apply to Christians and how we walk with God? Number three, Christians should be motivated while serving God. Christians should be motivated while serving God. Um, Romans 12, 11, we are continually in service to God until the day he takes us home. In that service, we as Christians should always be attached to the word fervent. Um, positive, negative attitude. Uh, I was thinking about this because I don't know um, how many of you guys uh, saw this, but I was thinking about this. of If we were all sold out, if we were all fervent, if we were all on fire, wouldn't it be something if we had a tent meeting here and we had two or 3,000 people show up. And I don't know if you guys heard, I don't have my cell phone on me, but um, when the Phillies game, when they won the championship uh, last week, somebody held up a phone a mile and a half from the stadium. And they actually heard the cheers and actually heard the singing a mile and a half away. Won't be something if we had something like that here where they're getting 911 calls, hey, we don't know what's going on at that church over there, but we just hear a bunch of singing and we're half a mile away from the church. What's going on? Um, wouldn't it be something if just by the positive, positive and happy demeanor of the way we carry ourselves, the unsaved noticed and said, hey, can I ask you a question? Why do you walk around always happy and in a good mood? I don't understand. What's so, what's so, why are you always so happy? Wouldn't it be something if we as Christians walked around and we got asked that question regularly? How about, wouldn't it be something if in our community, with our outreach or the influence that we have in the community, that people took notice and we had regularly guests visiting us and saying, hey, I just had to come out and see what's going on at that church. I've heard so much about it. Now, everything I just mentioned doesn't happen with a negative attitude. You guys ever heard the, you know, the, the Ron Apple ruins the bushel? It really doesn't take much to ruin a ministry or work of God when there's negativity or negative attitude within a church. Um, Colossians 3.23, and because of time, you don't have to uh, turn from there, but if you want to take a note to it, it says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Philippians 3.14 says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And circling back to Romans 12.11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, I... I Joked earlier with Pastor Nizzi and his preaching, and uh, there was no joke about the way he preaches. I mean, just unbelievable. But I know Pastor Nizzi is working on our 2023. 
what that looks like. He's mentioned, hey, look, I, I want to try some new things. Um, I want to, you know, kind of tweak the Sunday night services. Now, we could all have the attitude, wait a second, we've done this for 30-something-odd years or 40 years. There's no way we can do that. And have the attitude that drags everything down here. Or we can have the attitude of, okay, there's nothing undoctrinal about this. Nothing's against the Bible. If this is what the man of God is going to lead us to, I'm all behind it. Let's have at it. Um, we have around us unsaved family, friends, and coworkers that if we're not carrying a positive attitude about our church, about our Christian walk, we're literally turning away thousands of hundreds of people away from God's work. Because if there's not positive associated with Christian the world is nothing but negative. Yeah, they're short-term positive with the world, and you can see that uh, with the wealthy and the rich. Um, there was a study done recently with, uh, I forget what it was, uh, people with over a million dollars have higher suicide rates than people that are at the poverty level. How does that happen? Because there's no happiness in the world. There's short-term happiness, but there's no long-term happiness. Um, I just want to challenge everyone tonight, and when I put this message together, I challenge myself just to take a look at what, because, you know, quite honestly, there's, there's times I'm at work, and you get down, and you kind of carry it to, home from work to the house, or sometimes you go out in public, you carry it there. Um, it's amazing what positive thought does, though. Uh, my daughter, Taylor, uh, is at Liberty University, and she uh, got accepted into nursing program. Um, last year, she... Uh, went through a couple things, didn't think she was smart enough to get into it, and there was a class that she took that she had to pass in order to get into her. Well, here she gets into the class three weeks into it, and she just in her head thought that she wasn't going to make it, so she didn't try. So she literally didn't pass several tests. Well, here, three weeks after she had started the class, she finds out she was accepted. Well, now she's got to kick it back into gear. Long story short, she was never able to catch up. She was never able to get her grades high enough. Um, Lord did a real miracle in our house, and she went back to college this year, didn't think she was going to, she went back, and um, really has been studying, unbelievable, really working hard. Um, she has actually gotten some of the highest grades in the class now. She got reaccepted back into the nursing program, and right now is maintaining one of the highest grade point averages probably in the class, doing an unbelievable job. Well, she's the same girl she was six months ago. It's the same person, she has the same brain, she has the same, what changed? Her, her attitude. She went from negative to positive, and now she, she says, I, I can't believe the grades I'm getting. I, I'm getting better grades, and this girl's really smart. I can't believe I'm getting better. I'm like, Taylor, do you ever consider you're smart? It's just the effort and the attitude. And I just summarize that by saying, we Christians fall into this, the same category, okay? Sometimes Satan put the thought of, I can't, or you're not good enough, or you can't do this. That's directly from Satan. That's directly from the flesh. That's not how God works in our lives. So in closing, um, just to check, and the last question I have for you is, is your attitude currently while serving God closer to Jonah or the Apostle Paul? And I think all of us need to ask ourselves that question, and it's not just a one-time event. That's something we should continue to ask ourselves and do a self-check on where we're at. Uh, I appreciate everyone being here and the time. Uh, just keep our pastor in prayer. Like I said, they're going to be traveling back sometime next week. 
I appreciate your time. Drive safely home and look forward to seeing everyone Sunday. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for this time together. I thank you for uh, just your love and your grace. And we just thank you for what you give us in the Bible. We just pray that we take what we learned tonight and apply it to our lives. And we just pray for safety throughout this week. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.